learned chapter 13 last week. The main thing I wanted to kind of get across is, as you begin looking at chapter 13, you see two beasts, right? And the first beast is the one we're focused on right now, rising up out of the sea. And when you hear that word beast, we talked about last week, something goes off in our minds, and too often we, we kind of turn this into a, like a Halloween costume kind of thing. Like, oh, it's this crazy beast that comes up and oh, it's going to get us. Well, that's not, that's not what is meant by the term beast. You remember this last week? Be- beast, the word beast, refers to someone or something that is under the subjugation of another, right? And so, so um, you know, well, it's a bad example. I was going to talk about my dog. He's under my subjugation. But I actually think maybe it's the other way around in our house. That dog kind of controls things. But actually, he's a beast, right? And so uh, if I want the beast to go into a cage, it goes into a cage, right? If I want it to go on a walk, I stick a leash on it, it goes on a walk. So that's the idea of beast. It's not um, some scary thing. It's you, you have the dragon, right, Satan, who's a mastermind, who says my goal is to separate as many Christians from Jesus Christ as possible. Do you notice how I said that? The devil can look at our world. There are billions of people in it that right now have separated themselves from Jesus Christ. The devil says, good, let's just keep that the way it is. But I'm going to specifically go and make war with the offspring of Jesus Christ, so those who, who have faith in him. So the majority of Satan's work is intended to come against those who walk in faith with Jesus Christ. There's a battle going on. His beasts, his subjects that he works through are, are, two, are twofold is what John is getting to see here. On one hand is this first beast that rises up out of the sea with its ten horns and its seven heads and the diadems and blasphemous names written uh, on its heads. Um, when you read it, you're like, well, what, what kind of a beast is that? Well, uh, the clue comes in the description of the beast, right? It's like a leopard. Its feet are like a bear's. Its mouth is like a lion's. And the, and the dragon gives his power to its throne and authority, right? So what is he talking about? Well, he's not talking about some scary monster. He's talking about political regimes that will rise and fall over the course of history leading up to that day when Jesus Christ returns, okay? How do you know that? Well, again, just read the clues here. This, this, this lion and this, this bear, what do they take us back to? They take us back into the Old Testament. And uh, last week we looked at uh, Daniel chapter 7. Um, and in Daniel chapter 7, you have these exact same words being delivered in the Old Testament era to a prophet to refer to the fact that during that Old Testament period, you had these civilizations that rose up to power, right, and subjugated those underneath its power, Babylon, um, where Israel itself became captive for a, a long and extended period of time. Persia that comes in and sweeps you know, sweeps Babylon's feet from underneath it and now becomes the, the new world power. Interestingly enough, it's a, it's a Persian king that finally releases the uh, Israelites from captivity in, in Babylon, right? Um, 
Greece comes in and with Alexander the Great and his, his, his war theory begins to, to take Persia apart and, and, and then Rome on top of Greece and Rome becomes, you know, that, that world power that finally leads up to that um, authority on earth at the time of, of Jesus's birth, right? So you have the Old Testament picture through Daniel and now the New Testament picture of that same thing is being given to, to John. And so what John is really being, being told is there's, there's going to be, right, new, new regimes that rise and fall. And with each regime that, that comes, uh, there will be a sense in which the mastermind, Satan, tries to take his beast, this, this political authority, and use it in a way that does what? Has, has the authority of, of his throne. Will seek to will seek to do what? Separate men from God. So the beast always acts like it is God. I'm, we're the authority. We so so we see it in our world today, right? Um, America is is one of the great powers that has that has risen up. Um, the historian Francis Schaeffer, if you're familiar with his his work, you know, over the course of the last you know number of decades asks the question in America, how then shall we live? If you've never read his book or, or looked at some of his work, it's fascinating stuff. What he's doing, Francis Schaeffer is actually going back and he's studying the rise and fall of, of empires. And he's saying, uh, in light of what, it, what caused these great powers to, to fall from great heights, how then shall we live in, in America? Right? And what Francis is good at doing is coming into our American culture and demonstrating that a lot of the same things that happen to these great cultures that have fallen are happening right here in America. Now, Francis Schaeffer did his work, believe it or not, his work was popular about 30 to 40 years ago. 30, 40 years ago, Francis Schaeffer was saying, America, wake up. The foundations that made you strong are crumbling just like Rome crumbled and before them, just like Greece crumbled, you're crumbling. 30 to 40 years later, we, we look up and we say, how could, how could these kinds of things be being taught in our schools, right? We wake up and we say, how can the government redefine marriage? I mean, does marriage belong to the government? Who made marriage? God did. Who defines what it is? God did. What, what does this beast do? He puts on the costume of God. He says, I'm, no, I'm God. I'll define marriage. And what does he do to people that defy him? What does the beast do? I'm going to persecute you. All right? We, we kind of soft sell that. Well, well, yeah, in America we don't have persecution. Of course we do. You know, I mean, most of us have followed the story of, of this couple that, you know, I, well, we own our own bakery, we, we make cookies and cakes, and here comes this couple, and we're going to get married, and they're a same-sex couple, and, you know, I mean, they say, no, we don't want to bake that cake. Th thank you, but let some other baker bake it. So what does the government do? We're going to put you under a fine, and, and this couple is like, we can't even run our business anymore. Can't do it. Okay, um, you know, you've got pretty consistently now happening across the United States. Folks are running into problems le legally with, with the law, the government, for having home Bible studies, which to me is shocking. You know, uh, Texas is always considered the Bible Belt, right? Um, so, 
here I am living in the Bible Belt, and you've got these gigantic churches everywhere you, you look, and, and yet right in the midst of that, war going on. So this couple in, in Plano, just a little town outside of uh, where, where we live, have a Bible study in their home. And all of a sudden, the police show up. Well, is it illegal to have a Bible study in your home? Can't you have a Bible study? Doesn't seem illegal to me. But one of the neighbors called them in and said, look, they're, they're having a Bible study. They're parking on our street. They're messing up our, our deal. We don't want it on our street. We don't need that in our neighborhood. So the police show up and they say, do you have a, a license to hold a religious ceremony in your home? No, we, we don't have a license like that. Well, you'll have to stop holding this religious ceremony. Well, it's not a religious ceremony. It's a Bible study, for goodness sakes. But they were shut down. And, and they had to actually hire legal representation to, to overturn that. And that's, that's in the Bible Belt. So when I look at America today, there, there's no question in my mind that from a legislative standpoint, um, from a judicial standpoint, what we'll continue to see ramped up is what? Persecution against those who adhere to the teachings of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what is being des described here, is you're you going to have the rise and fall of regimes that will um, be utilized by, by Satan to subjugate people. Last week we talked about what I consider to be one of the, the more dominant threats to our, our world and culture when it comes to the, the, the religio political beast, namely Islam, and its encroachment into uh, even our American culture. Um, you know, we diagrammed this out last week. You've, you've kind of got a, a trinity going on uh, with Islam. You've got Allah, God, who speaks his, his word right through his prophet Allah, Allah requires or, or, the, or the prophet, actually the prophet can't read or write, so through, through other people he records this, what he's heard from Allah, and we have the Quran. And now the Quran becomes real for people through Sharia, through, through law. This is how we're going to live this word of God out. And um, always interesting to me, the term Sharia translates into the way. And uh, so you have Jesus saying, I am the way. Guess what the dragon does? Mm -mm. I am the way, and we'll legislate it. See, that's this beast. We're going we're gonna to make it law. So in America, we say things like, well, thank God Sharia law is not here in America. Yes, it is. There are Sharia courts in America. And uh, what's happening here in America is very similar uh, to what has gone on, what went on in the time of Jesus where you, you had the Roman government, but you also had... Jewish law being practiced, right? Who is the Sanhedrin? They, they're the court. They, they, they hold trials, as in Jesus Christ went on trial, right? And so is that recognized by the government? Yes. As long as it doesn't encroach on the laws of the land, it's perfectly fine for you to make religious judgments in your court of law. Has that encroached into America? Yes. Should we be worried? Look at Europe where not only have they encroached into European law, but now, actually in the court system, some of the Sharian concepts and ideology are being adopted uh, in, in European law. So, yeah, we should be. And is it 
Is it surprising to me? No. This is exactly what we're told will, will happen as time moves forward. So um, that's kind of what we're looking at when we look at this, 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 uh, this beast that's under the authority of the dragon who has the power of, of his throne. Remember the throne of the dragon, Ephesians chapter 2, is, is he's been given authority in this domain, this Uranus, this cosmos that we're in and a part of. But it's limited. So, so is God, does God know this is going on? Yes. Could he stop it like that? All of the armies of Islam could be wiped out by one angel like that. Why does he not do it? Well, God tells us, he says, I'm telling you this battle is going to rage. You're going to see it happen. You're going to come under subjugation yourselves at times, Christians. I mean, the people reading this, hearing this for the first time, are under Roman persecution. Many of them will die, right, in Rome. And, and does Jesus say, so I'm going to stop that? No, he says, this is going to happen. It, what I want you to hold on to is I want you just to hold on to me and who I am. Because even if you lose your physical life here in this world today, guess where I'm taking you? I'm taking you to a new world tomorrow. That's where we're going. And so just expect and know that this beast will rise up and will have the authority uh, of, the, of the dragon under, under this cosmos, but still under my, my control, under my authority. All right? Verse 3, we didn't get to. It's, it's kind of an interesting uh, word to me. Um, it says one, one of its heads uh, seemed uh, to have a mortal wound but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast okay so specifically in history there's a couple of, of stories that rise up that potentially um, reflect what's being spoken of here but don't just get stuck in these specifics. Here, here are the two stories. One of them references Caligula. So that's one of those emperors who, when you hear his name, a lot of us go, I, yeah, I kind of remember Caligula. He was not a good guy. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, he reigned from about 37 to 41 AD. Um, he, he, during that time period, became very ill to the point that people said Caligula is going to die. Now, most Romans, their response to that was what? Good. <laughs> Let the guy die. Because they knew, okay, this guy is our emperor. He's crazy. He's insane. You know, I mean, the things that he did publicly, people would, would I mean, you're, you're under his subjugation, so you, you don't speak it out, but in private, we'd say, this Caligula guy, he's got to go. He's a nutcase. Well, he revived. He, he became well and, uh, and resumed his, his rule and, to the dismay of people, became even harsher in his latter years, right? And so some people will read this part of Revelation and say, okay, since you're referencing Rome here, that particular government, uh, can we point to a Caligula as though he is mortally wounded, he is going to die and then revives and the world goes, whoa, okay. And now he becomes even more stringent. Well, sure, fits the, fits the picture, but don't limit it to Caligula. 
Other people will point to Nero. And um, if you know anything about Nero, Nero made Caligula look like a saint. He's worse yet, right? Um, if you remember some of your Roman history, Nero was the guy who would kill wolves, strip them of their skin, dry them out, put the wolf's skin on with the head flopped over, run out at night, howl at the moon, capture women and rape them. And, um, and so your, your emperor is doing this stuff. And everybody knows it. But you can't do anything about it, right? So Nero is, is worse off than Caligula. Well, the Roman Senate finally had it with, um, with, with Nero, and they, they invited him to commit suicide. If you remember in Roman culture, um, you, you wanted to die with, with dignity before the gods. And so Romans would, would typically, if you, if you were upper class, give you the opportunity to kill yourself rather than to be killed. And so that, that's what happened with Nero, is he was presented by, by the Roman Senate with an invitation, you have the opportunity to, to kill yourself. Well, uh, historically, what we know is he, he did kill himself, Nero. He committed suicide. But kind of like Elvis, <laughs> is he still alive? I don't know. I thought I saw him the other day here in Grand Island down at that Sin City. I think I saw Elvis down there. Well, that's what happens with Nero is these rumors go out that, no, Nero's not dead to the extent that people became afraid of him returning uh, to power. So Nero, wounded mortally to death and rises up again. Well, people were afraid of that. It never happened. Nero never comes back. I mean, he, he did commit suicide. So you can read these words here and you can say, okay, this is referencing the fact that, that possibly there'll be some, some rulers over the course of time that uh, either fall from grace or physically go through some, some issues in their life but are restored. And when they're restored, everybody goes, oh, my goodness. I think it's broader than that. It can also refer to regimes, political regimes, that seem to lose their power. Seem to be like, well, they'll never return to power. But do restore to power. And everybody steps back and goes, whoa. I example. Uh, probably modern-day example. Okay, so a lot of people will point to the, to the bear and equate it in our, our New Testament time period with Russia, right? Bear, Russia. So as a kid, um, we grew up under the threat, right, of, of Russian dominance. So when you go to, um, when you go to see, you know, um, the, the Air, Air Force Museum, and, and you walk in, and, and they've got that little living room set up with an old black and white television going, and they're giving you the instructions on how, how to survive a nuclear blast. Most, most people that are as old as me actually remember that in school. Where we were kids, and they told us, you know, if, we, if we're under nuclear alert, just crawl underneath your desk, you know, kind of get into a tucked position, 
and kiss your butt goodbye. You know, I mean, <laughs> but they didn't say the last part. They said, oh, yeah, you're just going to be fine. Well, no, you're not going to be fine. You're going to be dust incinerated like that, you know. But we grew up with that threat. Well, then, then comes the Reagan period and the Cold War and, and then kind of the, the, what we would call the fall of Russia, all right, where people went, yeah, Russia, they've kind of lost their, their place. They're not as, as strong as they once were. Where's Russia today? Right back up here. Are they creating issues? Well, last week we kind of said, what, is, what does that word ISIS mean? Islamic State in what? Syria. Was, where's Russia today? In Syria. And so, yeah, they're a player today. So I think, I think that really what's being referred to here is, is that there are going to be times when regimes seem to just fall. That one's done. Thank God. Let's move forward. They rise back up and they reassume power um, underneath the, the dragon who has given them his authority. Um, by the way, when we're talking about some of these red johns, we're talking about political entities that are desperately uh, sick uh, inside of them, that have no qualms with, with um, killing uh, masses of people. And we see that uh, today in our world, and, and the dragon just rejoices in it, just rejoices in it. Verse 4, it says, They worshipped the dragon, they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. To me, that's interesting. I don't, you know, we don't, when you say the word worshiped, we typically think of, we think of a worship service, right? Um, so I've been asked before, was well, this talking about people going to like satanic services and that? No, it's not. <clears throat> the, the, well, the word worship means to, to, to prostrate yourself, to fall down before, um, to give yourself to, if you will. So when it's talking about the, the world looks at this thing and worships it, it's not a matter of people saying we're going to go to you know a church to a political church. It's not that, but it's 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 the recognition that there's a there's the people in our world who will say that's our God, that is our God, politics, and the the real answer to the problems in our world will come through political means. Okay? Interesting to me is the fact that which day of the week is fundamentally the greatest day during the week where political news and commentators are watched ad infinitum. Which day of the week would that be, guys? Sundays. Sundays. Big day for political news. And uh, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. So it's not we're going to bow down before, you know, the politics. It's we believe that there's no God out there. So all the answers to the ills in this world are going to have to come through political means. And that's the bowing down and the worshiping of the beast. All right? They're, they're, they're at the same time, it says, um, also worshiping who? Well, the dragon. Because you, the two are inseparable. <clears throat> so if I'm somebody who, apart from God, believes that the answers to our world's woes are through political means, what I really am is I'm somebody who is, is worshiping the dragon. I've, I've said I'm, I'm under his regime. I've become a beast, right? And um, so the world would say, and I, I like this quote, who is like the beast 
who is like the beast and, and who can fight against it? Who is like the beast and who can fight against it? During, during the time period that this is being written, um, that's kind of the question being asked by Christians. Because the beast, Rome, is doing what? Is, is starting to kill Christians. And so a lot of the churches are asking, the, well, they're doing one of two things. One, a lot of the people in the church are saying, can we strike back against Rome? The answer is in the sword. Okay. Um, others are trying to hide from Rome. So when you read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the entire book of Hebrews is an account of churches in Rome, right, converted from Judaism into Christianity that are trying to get underneath Rome's radar by literally, in a theological sense, taking Jesus Christ and turning him into an angel instead of a savior. If we make Jesus an angel, a prophet, if you will, then we're safe from Rome. Rome won't come after us then. It's if we, if we worship him as God, that's when we're in trouble with Rome. So you had both sides you know, going on at the, at, the, at the time. I think we have both sides today as well. Uh, within Christianity, probably the largest response to our, our politicized world is, let's just blend in. Let's just become like them. And so most of Christianity has, has lost its Christocentricity, right? It's not Christ-centered. It's not a whole lot different than, than the political world that we live in. They've adopted the same policies that the, the beast has issued. And so there's a lot of churches today who go, hey, we have no problem with what's going on, marriage and that kind of stuff. It's fine with us. We, we, we adopted that long ago. Okay. Uh, you, have, you have the churches that hide underneath it, and then you have churches today that say, how can we, how can we fight against this thing? How do we arm ourselves? Okay. Uh, go back in history. What, what are the crusades? What are the crusades? They're the church's response to what? In that period of time, the rising up of Islam. Islam will always rise up as a politico-religio entity that does what? Third part of the triangle. Ehad. Uses a sword to bring about subjugation. So if you, if you don't think that Islam has as its, as its end, Ehad and the subjugation of the world, you have not read the Quran at all. You have no clue of what Islam is about. Absolutely they do. In, in our own history, we look back at the Crusades. What was the response of the church? Well, Islam is spreading rapidly as it is today. The church says, let's fight against the beast. Right? What happens? The Catholic Pope authorizes armies to take up weapons and go fight the beast. Okay? Um, I love the fact that St. Augustine, uh, during, during the, the period of the Crusades, wrote what has become a Christian classic for, for all time, uh, uh, not a little book, a thick book, called The City of God, in which he, as a little monk, said, I don't think you can fight the beast that way. I don't think you'll win the war. I think you'll, you'll lose. The only way, truly, to fight that beast is with a Bible. That's our sword. And so if you want to fight Islam, do it with the Bible. Go in and bring Jesus Christ into the lives of Islamic people. It's the only, only way 
that you fight against the beast. I agree with that. I agree with that to this day. Um, so, uh, bottom line is, in Rome, this is what the Christians are experiencing, and they're, they're saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? That's Rome saying, we're, we're in rule here, and you Christians, you will subjugate to us, and if you don't subjugate to us, we will kill you, and they're publicly killing people, and churches are hiding, or they're saying, can we fight back against Rome? Here's what God is saying to John through the Revelation. Don't bear that sword. That sword I gave to the, pol the political entity. You bear a different sword. I am the sword, the sword of the Spirit. Go bear that sword. And if, if you die by this sword, let it be. Because guess what? There's an eternity with me to come. And so if you give your life for this cause, that's, that's good. You, you, you've held on to me and to your faithfulness. So I do. I mean, I look at our world today and, and of course... People go, well, what, what's going to happen? Will America, you know, be a red giant that will fall? Um, I, I mean, well, just look at history, guys. And, you know, in some senses, I think that uh, Francis Schaeffer was right 40 years ago to say our, our innards, the things that we were built upon as a nation, they started crumbling. And today, it's like somebody's taking a sledgehammer and just let's speed it up and crumble it as fast as we can. Uh, as, as Christians, I think we have on the, on, the, on the left hand, as Luther talks about, two kingdoms. We're citizens of the, of the political kingdom, right? We're also citizens of the heavenly kingdom. Don't mix the two up. Our power is in the sword of the Spirit. As members and citizens of the kingdom on the left, ought we to be concerned with who America is politically? Yes, we should. Absolutely, we should. Should we be involved in saying, let's seek to elect leaders that reflect some type of position that allows us as Christians to continue to do what we do without getting arrested in our homes? For having yes, you should do that. Should we speak up when the government acts against us? Absolutely. That's what it means to be a citizen on the left. But know that your power is always where? It's, it's in the sword of the Spirit. The only change we really have to bring about in, in our community is not going to come from political measures. It will always come from the sword of the Spirit. Bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into people's lives. That's the only thing that changes, changes them. So we're in the same boat today, I believe, as the Christians were in Rome. The persecution looks different. What's happening looks different, but we're, we're really in the same exact boat that they were in. Verse number five, it says, the, the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. <laughs> I got to tell you, without trying to be disrespectful of the office that God has created in, in the presidency, I've got to say that some of the words that I've heard come out of our political entity are, are nothing short of blasphemous. Because blasphemy is declaring, I am God. And so when you have political leaders who take what belongs to God, subjugate it, make it their own, and then pronounce it, that's blasphemy. You've set yourself in the place of God. That's not your position. That's not where he put you. And so you are uttering blasphemous words. The only way that the government can do that is God allows it. And don't miss those words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, okay? To me, this points to the idea that 
if history is divided into three great epochs, a time and a time and a half a time, that 42-month period clearly refers to that half a time. So what it says to me is that during that half a time, which is initiated by some very cataclysmic type of activity, whatever rises up in political authority will exercise authority against Christians in an unprecedented way. Okay? People like me would say, what you saw happen in Rome, persecution-wise of Christians, is nothing compared to what you will see. Now, unanswerable question, but I get it all the time. People will say to me, well, do you, do you think, I mean, it could, could that be, could that be Islam that rises up here? I'm like, I, we, we don't know. We don't, we really don't know. But here's what we do know, is that right now, when Islam enters into a, 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 an area to, to subjugate it, they mark the Christian homes and churches with the sign of the Nazarene. You belong to the Nazarene. When they come into your home, you have what? Three choices and churches. Either pay us dues, which the Quran allows. The Quran allows the people of the book, Christians and Jews, to, to continue to practice their Christianity and their Judaism. In theory, the Quran says you can do that provided you pay dues to your, to your subjugators. You'll still be subject to us. We'll tell you what you can and can't do. You can still be a church or a home, but you're going to pay us dues. Or you can convert. To me, one of the most horrible things going on in our world right now are Christians. Of course, many of them are just fleeing, get out of town, but who remain and then end up either being killed or converting. And uh, you know what's kind of emblazoned in my mind is this this little little guy from Mozel, where ISIS just came in, and uh, he's telling this story of his family, and they stood against Islam. We're not going to convert. And uh, the Islamics came in, and now they they actually kidnapped his wife and child. And he finally got to that point. He thought, you know what? They're going to kill my wife. They're going to kill my child. I'll convert. And so he converted. He said, I'm converted. And when he converted, what the Islamic soldiers said to him, well, I'll never, I'll never go out of mind. They said, good, now you're one of us. And your daughter, about 10 years old, is going to now become my wife. And uh, so he said, I would rather have died, kill me, than to turn my daughter over to these murderous people. And I think that's the depth of depravity that comes from one and only one place. That's hell. That's Satan rejoicing in something absolutely sick and masquerading as what? We're God. We will cause you to be subjugated uh, to us. So what will it look like? Uh, we don't know. In that 42-month period, that, that half a time, all we can say for absolute certain is that whatever political entity is, is ruling during that time will come against Christianity in, in an unprecedented way. And I, and I think that's part of why Jesus is giving these words to, to John to say, this will happen, 
and I will hold on to you, and I will hold on to you tightly. Um, let's close with this. Uh, verse verse um, 62, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. In other words, they would say, there is no heaven. There is no God. We're it. We're God. Also is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And so we go back and we look, well, why did God let these Christians die in, in, in Roman Colosseums and um, die some awful, awful deaths? Well, because God allowed that to happen. He says, I'm, I'm going to give the, that government the power uh, to do that. We may not like that. We, we don't like that. We would want to say to God today, stop all this. Just stop it. And God says, no, my, my plan is actually, and, and particularly in that half a time, to allow this to go on. And we, we said, but why, God? Because I want to bring people to that place where they trust me alone to the point of I, I will die. And it's okay. It's okay for me to die. Because to die is gain. And to live is Christ. And that's where he wants to bring us. Thus he, in a, in a very hard for us to understand way allows what's going on to go on and will allow uh, what's going on to continue to go on. Um, I'll just close with these. Authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell upon the earth will worship everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And so... Um, what he's doing, he says, I'm speaking to those of you today who, before the world even began, and this is kind of amazing, kind of close out on this note, that before the world even began, God saw you today. He saw our world today. And he says, I've got it all mapped out. And I know, I want you to know where it ends, and it ends with a new earth in me. And there is no politic. I am God. Just like we started off with Adam and Eve, and I over them, and they in relationship with me. And that's where I want to take you. Let's stop there with prayer.